Welcome, everybody, to episode 12 of the Back Lounge Podcast. My name is Tank, I'm your host, and I'm a roadie with over 15 years of experience in the touring music industry. And if this is your first time joining us for a podcast episode, what we do here is invite band members, artists, roadies, and anybody else in the music industry, and we just have conversations about whatever we want, man. I try and stay away from the typical interview format with the questions that you get from, you know, every other media outlet. And I just like to sit here and talk to our guests about whatever comes up. And today's episode, if I'm being honest, I can't believe this actually happened because I have been trying to make this happen for about a month or probably about as long as the announcement of their new album has been out. But these artists get busy sometimes and scheduling conflicts happen and it doesn't work out. And I not I kind of gave up on this one. I kind of wasn't thinking about this one. And then all of a sudden I got an email said, hey, can you can you do a podcast episode with this guest? Because they have some time and they want to do it, but it's got to be like 10 hours from now. And I was just like, yep, let's do it. Cleared my schedule, whatever. So today's guest is going to be Mr. Christopher Bose from Ailstorm and Glory Hammer. <laughs> and, and man, this this was, to be honest, I don't even know what I really expected. Because while I'm familiar with Ailstorm and Glory Hammer, I didn't know if I was going to get a normal dude. I didn't know if I was going to get a, a Chris Bose that was in character. I don't know if when they did interviews, he acted like a pirate or something. But I just got normal ass dude Chris Bose, like, you know, in his room, just hanging out. And it was so fun, man. I mean, we had so many laughs on this one and talked about so many different things. I mean, one of my favorite parts about this that you'll hear is talking to him about how he moved from the UK to the US and all the reasons why he thinks it's hilariously awesome living in the US. And as an American, I completely get what he's saying, man. But I can't wait for you guys to hear this one. If you can't hear it in my voice or see it on YouTube, if you're watching, um, which that's a good reminder. If you are listening to this on audio, all the video versions are available on my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash tank the tech. And I know a lot of people listen to these on audio because it's easy and convenient. But if you do want to see my face or our guest face, you can do that on YouTube. Um, but before we start, man, these guys have so much going on, and I specifically mean Ailstorm. I mean, Glory Hammer's busy too, but Chris's time is 99% with Ailstorm these days. They have a brand new album coming out. It's their seventh album, and it's called Seventh Rum of a Seventh Rum. That's going to be coming out on June 24th, 2022 from Napalm Records. And if you're listening to this podcast the day it releases... That's tomorrow, man. So if you haven't pre-ordered this album yet, I would highly recommend it. We've already gotten a few singles released from the album, and I'm super stoked on it. I've got reactions on my channel if you want to see those. And if you're watching on YouTube, I'll have links below where you can go follow Ailstorm on social media and pre-order the album to support them. But after that album drops, they're going to be on tour like crazy. Actually, right now, they're on tour in Europe. And then they're going to South America and then they're going to Australia. Like from now until the end of the year, these guys are so slammed. So I was so stoked once again that this episode came together as fast as it did. 
But I feel like I'm blabbering at this point, and you guys probably just want this to start. So let's just get started, man. So for episode 12 of the Back Lounge podcast, let's welcome today's special guest, Christopher Bose from Alestorm and Glory Hammer. Chris, welcome, dude. Thank you very much for uh, taking the time to do this because you're you're a busy man. I well, yeah, I will have been kind of very not busy for a while, but yeah, the busyness starts actually tomorrow, and it's going to be a summer of insanity. So yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on. Oh, dude, I was I was looking at your your tour schedule, and I do want to talk about that in a bit, but. These are, these are always so funny how these come together because I think everybody that listens to interviews and podcasts are probably like, oh, this is probably done like ahead of time and so professional. It's like, dude, this, this interview podcast, whatever we're going to call this got confirmed like 12 hours ago. <laughs> and here Very we last are. minute. Yeah. And here we are, man. Um, and it's crazy because most of the artists that I talk to on this podcast are from the other side of the ocean, a lot of big time changes and stuff. You are actually the closest I've, I think I've ever had in terms of time zones for doing this. And I, I've, I just got to know, cause I'm curious, like, how did you wind up in Tennessee? When I heard you lived in Tennessee, I was like, really? Yeah. Well, um, I would say it's a long story, but it's like, it's a medium length story, I guess. Uh, long time ago we did that, you know, that 70,000 tons of metal cruise, yeah. the old did that once met a nice lady on that cruise and uh, got married one day. And as you do, and she's, uh, she's from Johnson city, Tennessee. So I thought, you know what? I don't really like England or Scotland. I'm going to come live with you. So uh, I moved to America. I got the old green card, then got the citizenship uh, 2020. Nice. And I am a, yeah, I'm a full American now living nice. in Tennessee. In the hills. That's like, that's, that's a similar story of how I stayed in Nashville. Like I I'm originally from Chicago and I was working for bands from here and driving back and forth all the time and then decided to move to Nashville and then decided I was going to move back to Chicago. And before I did that, I met my now wife and was like, well, I'm staying in Nashville. So, <laughs> yeah, so I dig it. But man, so you already you already talked about it. And I got to know I was looking your first show on this summer stretch is five days from right now when we're recording. Yeah. Uh, OK, so uh, today we're doing this interview tomorrow yeah. morning. I'm catching a flight to Hungary, to Budapest. We're gonna have two days of rehearsals because we've never rehearsed in a very long time. We've got a new album out, playing a bunch of new songs. And it'll be fine, you know, our, our songs are really easy. And then we're heading to Sweden for a Sweden Rock Festival, which is gonna be our first open air festival since um, since the way back when, before times. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's but, gonna uh, be, that, I mean, that's just gonna be a blast, dude. I mean- Oh, it's, it's gonna be so weird. It's, <clears> a, you know, I've forgotten what that many people looks like you know when when is the last time that you guys actually did like a full show with a crowd has it well, been since the pandemic well yeah we, we we're kind of lucky in that um we sort of scheduled a uk tour for late last year mm -hmm. and it was like uh will it happen will it not no idea and it worked like the uk like was one of the first like to ease up on restrictions so in yeah december we did like 12, 11 shows around the UK, like big venues. Um, the final one was at Brixton Academy in London. It was like 4,000 people. Nice, yeah. nice show, nice times. Uh, yeah, and that that felt so weird. It felt so weird being in like these huge venues full of people because like even then the these sort of, you know, pandemic restrictions were still kind of like semi in effect. Like you had to wear a mask in public. 
except if it was at an entertainment venue. So like we were the only people in the whole country who were essentially exempt from wearing masks. And it was so weird that, you know, to see a sea of maskless people and you go outside and everyone's in a mask. It's like, yeah. this, this is not, this cannot be healthy, but you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Like we were always wondering, like, you know, uh, in Nashville, you know, when all this was going on, it's like they were shutting down concerts and they're like, yeah, hey, we can't have concerts but they're having hockey games with like 17,000 people every night. <laughs> I'm just like, how does that work? Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, obviously right now I'm in the, uh, you know, the uh, redneck Eastern part of the state. Right <laughs> they're all, they're around these parts. There ain't no such thing as COVID. You know? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. So, uh, it's kind of, it was kind of weird. I was like living in this little bubble for a couple of years where everything sort of continued sort of as normal. Um, you know, then I read the news and the rest of the country, the rest of the world's kind of going crazy. And we're like, well, you know, swings and roundabouts. It's it's a bit strange here, but you know, yeah, I did yeah. die, which was convenient. You know, yeah, same. I mean, we're here, but <laughs> hey, we dude, made it. it's 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 the same here. I mean, Nashville is you know a, a big city, so you get a lot of mix of different people. But you know, when when the pandemic first started, it definitely shut down here. But after yeah. a while, there were definitely those people on the outskirts that were like, "Fuck this shit!" I'm like, I don't care. And, you know, but it, it, it was weird to see the whole entertainment industry shut down, but we're still having like NFL and NHL games and stuff like that. Yes. So the fact that concerts are back now is awesome. And it's been so hard to keep up with everything that's going on because like I just asked, like, have you done any shows? I knew you guys had the tour booked. I just honestly didn't know if it happened or not. Yeah, it, it was it was an absolute miracle. We were so pleased it went off really well. Um, it was just, you know, we needed that so bad because like this, you know, we are a live band. Mm -hmm. We don't really do, you know, a lot of bands these days that were in the last couple of years, they've sort of pivoted to being like sort of internet metal bands with like, you know, streaming and all that bullshit. And that doesn't really suit us. You know, mm -hmm. I feel like we only work well in a, in a sort of a live environment. You know, it's, it's, that's where the magic happens. And it's, you know, it's, it doesn't work watching an Ailstorm show on the internet. You don't have that same feeling of just you're in an insane party with thousands of people getting drunk. It's it's very difficult to capture that at home. So it's we've needed this. We we need to get back on the road. It's yeah. it's been killing us. I remember I, I totally get what you're saying too, because I remember there were a lot of uh there were a lot of streams from a lot of different bands. And some of them worked. You know, it was cool to sit and watch certain bands, but like I remember when I watched the the live in Tilburg TV. I, I was just like, this is fucking insanity, dude. And like, I've been around a lot of different crowds and on a lot of tours. And I still don't know if I've ever seen like as rowdy of a crowd as that dude. I mean, it's insane. Hailstorm crowds are kind of uh, intense, which is kind of weird. Cause like, you know, the, the genre we play the kind of this kind of mainstream, you sort of folky power metal. It's, it's quite a light genre you know we're not we're not it's not extreme brutality with yeah. like you know big scary guys it, it's the kind of the kind of genre you associate with like you know happy people and kids who are like sort of maybe on the fringes of the genre mm -hmm. who are maybe not used to this sort of uh intense sort of audience so you get the kind of people who maybe it's their first ever metal show coming to an ailstorm gig and thinking maybe I just stand here and watch. And then suddenly there's like this insane wall of death. And then everyone sits down and starts rowing the boat. It's just, it's, and then a duck lands on their head. It's, 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 um, I think it's, it's kind of weird. We sort of, we live in this sort of uh, kind of happy metal world playing sort of, well, just making these really insane shows. So it's kind of a weird sort of dichotomy, you know, going on there. It's very strange. I, I love that though, because there, we're seeing a lot of bands now, man, that like, 
are are turning people onto metal and maybe more harder music than they normally wouldn't listen to. Because even when I was a kid growing up, I had friends that weren't into metal. They're like, what can you recommend me that might like ease me in? And at the time I was like, I don't know, man, I really don't. But now with bands like, like you guys, and then you see like Electric Cowboy out of Germany and stuff like that. Good bands, what a Dude, good band. My, my wife doesn't really like a lot of the metal that I listen to. But she loves you guys. She loves Electric Cowboy. She likes a lot of stuff that can like, that has more of that upbeat, fun vibe, like you're mentioning. Yeah. And it's a good stepping stone for a lot of a lot of these people. And you know, I've seen it online, man. You know, this this whole reaction channel thing has been crazy because it's never, I, I never had a plan to do that. It just kind of became a thing. But I've discovered so much music myself, and then I see other people that are like, dude, this I, like I've never heard of any of these bands. And it's actually been a really cool thing to see that so many people are discovering music right now just from being from home. Yeah, we actually uh, we actually printed a T-shirt. Well, I had whatever on the front. On the back, it said "Entry Level Party Metal," and uh, I feel like a lot of people didn't appreciate that. You know, it's uh, like it's kind of our sense of humor, but you know, some people they don't like it when they're they they know it's kind of sort of basic bitch metal. But they don't, they don't like to know it is. It's like people like to pretend it's not, but it's like, nah, Ailstorm is basic bitch metal. You know? Yeah, but at the same time, then you're going to like get up there and play like fucked with an anchor and people are yeah. going to be like, whoa, what? <laughs> you know? That's great. But dude, the new music, we, we got to talk about a lot of the new stuff because from the time we're recording, the new album comes out in exactly 20 days. And from the time people see and hear this, the album's going to come out tomorrow. Yeah. And there's so much creativity in this. I, I got to ask questions and know, like, it's your seventh studio album. It is. And it's called Seventh Rum of a Seventh Rum. That is the most creative shit. Like, was that well thought out or did somebody just one day, did it just hit you or somebody and you're like, yeah, that's it. So, right. What happened was a um, year and a half ish ago, it was one of those sort of slow days. Like, right. We need some like, I don't know, hashtag content for today's Internet post to yeah. you know, drum up some numbers. I was like, for, I know, let's do a poll. Like say, hey guys, what should we call our next album? Ha 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 ha. And like, I think the options were A, Untitled Demo 2005. B, The Blackbeard album, you know, Metallica. Ooh. Yeah, that'd be a good one. And then there was something else. And then yeah, I think it was Sea Memes Volume 3. And then the fourth one was uh, Seventh Rum of a Seventh Rum. You know, like obviously massive Iron Maiden ripoff. You know, so yeah. just, you know, copying famous albums and then every single person was like oh my god you have to call it seventh rum of a seventh rum and i was like oh wow like the reception was insane like everyone was like commenting saying do this do this do this i was like wow this is this is kind of popular then we got an email from we have this artist guy his name is dan goldsworthy he's done all our recent albums album covers he emailed me saying chris please tell me please tell me this is real please tell me that's what you're calling the album and i was like well, uh, I guess we don't have a choice anymore. It's called Seventh Rum of a Seventh Rum. Like, it was literally just some low-effort joke for a day that just spiraled out of control. Like, kind of like most, you know, most of the things to do with this band, it's just silly accidents that go far too far. And, yeah, yeah so that happened. I mean, Dan, our artist guy, he's a, he's a massive Maiden fan. He, like, he loves, like, the artwork. Um, the album covers, like, you know, Power Slave. He says that's his favorite album cover. And so he was just so keen to do this amazing piece with all these little details in it so like if you look closely at the artwork there's um loads of little things here and there that are references 
to songs like this thing scroll on the table there's things sitting on the shelf in the background little stickers on the um the uh, the gambling one-armed bandit machine it's the whole thing is so just it's full of easter eggs about 48 easter eggs i think oh i so gotta check a- that out then because i i pre-ordered it like the second pre-orders are available because one i'm super looking forward to the album but two the artwork is awesome and that's like I've I'm such a sucker for uh, artwork when it comes to collecting vinyls because as you can see I hang most of them on yeah. my wall and I interchange them out and stuff. And um, I've actually had a lot of artists that I've talked to lately on the podcast that have been like we've we've put way more thought into our album artwork than we normally would have because we just want something that looks cool as well as delivers our sound. And I was like, it's a good point. It's kind of weird these days because like you know everything's moving so much towards streaming and mm-hmm. like videos and things that often people forget there's a physical product. Like, yeah, that there's like this sort of sizable minority who obviously, you know, they buy the, you know, they buy the collector's vinyl, mm-hmm. you know, like you stick it on the wall, cherish it. But most people have no idea. Mm-hmm. They don't, they don't buy the albums. They don't like the booklet, like the, the art, the idea of the art of a booklet is just such a lost art these days because no one goes through it. We, we even like hide shit in our booklets. There's like, links to websites to download songs that haven't been released by us yeah and no one no one finds them because no one <laughs> reads the booklet it's insane yeah it's it, and it's such an old school thing because i remember growing up like you know i'll i'll be 35 soon if that gives you a good frame of reference on time growing up and like i remember vinyls were pretty much done by the time i was old enough to really listen to music with my dad yeah. but he had like literally 2000 cds like in these nice, you know, those tower CD towers we had back when we were younger and stuff. And now it's just so crazy to think that it's like, nobody has that anymore. It's all just digital for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. I I sold my entire CD collection in like 2012 and I had like a lot of kind of rare shit and signed CDs by bands that don't exist anymore that I got signed. It's like, and I was like, you know what? I don't ever listen to these. I've got Spotify now or whatever. Even back then new Spotify became a thing. I was like, I just sold them all. And it was kind of liberating just not having any of that stuff because yeah. I never really had any, you know, I guess back then, like, you know, like early 2000s when music was my sort of thing. Um, th- these kind of crazy collector's editions didn't exist. Like, you know, you couldn't get good albums in like beautiful gatefold vinyls inside a wooden box with a with a pop-up statue and all that stuff. It's mm-hmm. uh, So yeah, I'm, I'm hoping it's, uh, there is this sort of resurgence of physical products but um, yeah, no one seems to want the CD special editions. It's all about the vinyl these days. Like you go on our, the Napalm Records website, your label, all the vinyls are sold out, but there's still all these CDs left. So I, I don't know. D- why do you think that is? It's it's bigger. It's it's a it's a cooler product. It's a more real product. It's okay. I guess like a CD is um, what's well, essentially identical to what you get on Spotify. There's no real difference. You're just playing a digital file with extra steps. Mm-hmm. But you know, there's there's the ritual behind vinyl, and it's it's big. It's big things are cool things. You know? I, it, for me, as somebody who buys the vinyls, I'll tell you right, I don't listen to them. I don't listen. I don't listen to actual vinyl. I listen to it uh, same way Spotify or whatever. Yeah. Um, it's like buying a piece of art to me. Yeah. Like that's and that's the cool thing, especially you know, whenever I get a new vinyl, I don't even have enough room. I have. There's probably a stack down here below me of like 30 more vinyls that I've purchased in the last year from bands that I just haven't had time to put on the wall yet. Yeah. Like, and again, it's just, it's cool art, man. Especially going back to like, if a band actually hires like a good art designer to do a really cool cover, it's like, I'm a big fan of that. And the stories behind it too. Like, for example, um, 
on the wall. Let's see if I can get my hand in the right spot. All the way up there, the the latest Whitechapel album. Yeah. That cover was designed by their guitar player's wife, and every it it's dotted artwork. So it took her like. I can't remember how many hours he told me it took her, but the whole thing was a giant canvas painting that she just dotted everything. That's really cool. And then they turned it into a, you know, a vinyl cover. And I was like, that's just such a cool piece of art and cool piece of story that I was like, yeah, I'll buy that just to, just to support the artist, (laughs) you know? So, and then other bands are rocking out cassettes now too. We've, we've, we're doing cassette versions. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if it's like an ironic thing. Cause like, it's like it's kind of the opposite of vinyl. It's such a restrictive physical format. Like you only get like this weird sort of cut of the album because of the, the weird shape. Um, and of course it sounds garbage and there's often restricted <laughs> length on it. And it's like, you've got to cut a song. It's, it, but it's, it's fun. It's like this fun sort of goofy retro thing. I actually, um, we'd actually asked if it was possible to release things on eight track oh my or even God. like a floppy disc release. Could you imagine a box set of floppy discs? <laughs> Like the songs are in this most super fucked 32 kilobytes um, MP3 format to squeeze on a little disc. And yeah. then imagine that. But apparently it's impossible to get a hold of enough floppy disks. They don't make them anymore. Yeah. I mean, that's, I, there's, I, there's got to be something to do with it, the, the nostalgia and the retro stuff with the cassettes yeah. too, like the cassettes and the vinyls. Cause like I said, we know nobody's actually listening. Well, yeah. some people listen to vinyls. I know I have some. I have some hipster friends that have vinyl players at their house, but I don't. Yeah, I, I used to, I used to have a record player, like one of these fancy ones with a counterweight on a string. I was like, it was just hipster bullshit. I fully admit it. You know? <laughs> That's awesome, man. But uh, so so far from this album, uh, we've gotten three music videos. I actually just filmed. I actually just did a reaction to the Battle of Cape Fear um, on Twitch the other day. Like I did oh, yeah. it live. Oh, cool. And, couple hundred people on there and it was dude just like you said with your artwork or or your cd books where there's stuff hidden in there there were so many points in that music video where i had to like stop and go back really quick and be like what did that like when you open the chest and it says like you were fucked in it or something i'm like like that's such a quick thing that i really wonder like how many how many other people doing reactions are gonna notice that on the first watch yeah, I feel like there's a, there's a lot of things we put these little in-joke Easter egg details into that uh, just get completely uh, ignored by everyone. It's like, oh, come on, someone notice it, please. But, you know, it, it's kind of cool when someone does. And and the the captions, too. I'm finally, I'm finally not an Ailstorm music video noob anymore. It's so funny because people told me, like, months ago, they're like, every time you watch a video, you have to turn the captions on. And I always forget. But this one I did, and I was... I think I was like crying laughing when I saw the um, the subtitled guitar solo. <laughs> and I even said to the people watching, I was like, how amazing would it be the ultimate troll that one day when they do this live, like Bobo doesn't do the guitar solo and somebody just mouths it on the mic. <laughs> like, who knows? That could happen. Like, yeah, it's, a, it's a thing I started doing, I think on our last album, because I realized that um, people often get our lyrics wrong. Because mm-hmm. you know, I, I which is surprising because I, I I feel like I've got very precise diction when I am singing, but you know people get it wrong, and what happens is someone hears the song incorrectly, then everyone wants to be the first person to upload the lyrics to like you know alllyrics.com and stuff, mm-hmm. and then you find that you go on these websites, and then that becomes the canonical version of the lyrics is someone's misheard lyrics, and then I've actually seen like you know on Spotify when it, it has that feature where lyrics come up, 
they've used incorrect lyrics that some kid misheard. Oh, wow. I think, oh my God, we can't have this happening anymore. So I've, I've, um, every time Napalm Records uploads a video, I say, send me the link in advance. I'm going to generate, you know, all these captions for it. And of course, when you're doing that, I'm like, maybe I can just squeeze in a little joke here <laughs> and a little joke there. But I'm really running out of ideas now. We've got like one more video for this album before the release. There's actually a bunch that come out after release. Yeah. I've got no idea. I'm, I'm, I'm really running out of jokes. <laughs> just do, just do, do them all wrong next time. Purposely yeah, I, do them all wrong. I think I might do this. So yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's been awful. Like if you, if you go on um the, the lyrics for our song Keelhauled from our mm-hmm. second album, it's so, someone misheard it and wrote, I, we oath to shoot him with the guns. And there's lots of words that are replaced with R. Like, no, I'm not literally saying R in the lyrics. It's just so much nonsense. But yeah. Uh, <laughs> Dude, there and there's it's there have been many times in my life too, or even when I was younger, where I'd go look up lyrics, and yeah. I I as a kid would see these lyrics on these these websites, and then I'd be like, okay, that's the lyric, and then years later I find out I've I've literally been like singing it wrong in my head for years because I read it wrong somewhere else, or you're even like you know back in the day when there was no there was no websites of lyrics and um you just have to guess what you're hearing especially if you didn't have a physical copy of the booklet you're like you know if it's like there's a friend giving you like a a mixtape of songs yeah i've got no idea what this guy's singing they just guess yeah especially all the americans that like grew up like the american metalheads that grew up hearing rammstein on the radio in the late 90s completely different language everybody's just pretty much guessing the sounds they're hearing that's (laughs) that's awesome man and um even you know no- noticing things in the video it, it's it's very hard to get everything the first time you see something and that's why i always tell people like you know with with a reaction channel i tell people i'm like don't just watch this video with me on my channel like go go watch the full video full screened and take it all in because there was stuff even in the PARTY video that like i I caught like little things that people were surprised I caught, but then people were like, did you not notice that the whole story was basically them throwing a party to basically rob them? And I was like, no, I didn't. <laughs> like that, that video is, Oh my God. I'm so pleased with that video. It's, it's so it's, good, dude. This the, the guy who did that. Um, his name's Alex Henderson. And like, he totally out of the blue last year, uh, from a song from our previous album called uh, pirate scorn, which is like, it was like some song from a, a Nintendo cartoon and this guy Alex is like a big fan of all this Nintendo stuff and cartoons and stuff and he's Canadian I think it was actually a Canadian cartoon so he was like I'm gonna make a little fan animated video of this and he made this video it's, it's on YouTube you can find it and it's like incredible it's like well it's, it's basically the, the same quality as the party video mm-hmm. and he just did this for free in his own time for fun and we were like holy crap this is the best video we've ever seen so I, I emailed him and said can you, could you please, can we, can we pay you? Can we pay you to do this for us? Can you, could you do a video for a new song? And he's thankfully he said, yes. And I, I just can't believe how good it is. It's um, like the response has been so positive. Like most, usually when we do a video, there's, um, there's people who get our sense of humor and people who don't. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the ones who don't are like, what the hell is this? This is, this is dumb. This is yeah. pirates. So like, it's like, no, come on, get it. But it's crazy that this one, every single person says, yep, this is the best video of all time. Dude, so I have seen the other video you're talking about, but I didn't know it existed until after I saw P-A-R-T-Y. And I actually looked into all of his artwork afterwards because that's 
that's one of the things I like about music videos is digging into the production side of it. I was like, okay, yeah. who actually did this? And like, I, I, his style of animation is just so cool. And like, it's so fluid. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. And even like, not only dude, it's like the color choices in the video, just the images themselves. And it fits so well with the actual vibe of the song. Like I personally do not just cause I'm talking, I think it's going to be in my opinion, one of the best music videos that came out this year for sure. Ooh, just because of the overall vibe of it. And it's, it's so cool that you, it was, it just turned into a fan that made something and now you're, yeah. you employed him to do a video. I think, I think to be honest, he was probably a bigger fan of the, uh, the cartoon than he was of the band. But, you know, obviously since then he sort of <laughs> appreciated it works. But it, the, the cool thing was, um, I did not have to give him a single bit of direction or ideas. I just, well, I, I told him, uh, represent the band in the video, you know, have us be in there as characters and that's it. And he, everything else was like his ideas. And every time he'd sent me something, I was like, yes, yes, this is so good. Oh my God, yes. So like, he he came up with that that storyline and everything? 100%. Everything no was his idea. Incredible. Because usually there's any other time we make a video or whatever, I always feel like we've got to be like, you know, could be a bit of a nanny saying, okay, do this, do this, change that, change this. I did not request a single change. It was so good. That's, uh, that's amazing. I mean, that says so much about that guy's just yeah. creative mind. It's just every it's really nice when someone else has ideas and every single one of their ideas are better than what we could come up with ourselves it's like yes it's really, <laughs> yeah. really cool it's really cool getting to work with people who are better than us at everything it's like, you know well it's like i had a similar situation recently where like for for a while now people have been like yeah, you should, you should do some merchandise or something. A lot of YouTubers do merchandise. And I, it's just, it, if I'm being honest, it still seems weird to me. Like, yeah. I'm just, I'm like, I'm this guy on the internet, like, and I, I still tour and stuff and I'm getting ready to tour later this year. And now I, I'm just so lazy with it. I was like, I'm not going to come up with any kind of merchandise idea. And then one day out of the blue, again, somebody that's just on our discord server is an artist. And she was like, Hey, I made this like little logo for you just for fun. Like you can do whatever you want with it. And I thought it was so fucking cool. I was like, can I put this on t-shirts and I'll split it with you since you did the art on it. And she's like, well, I wasn't making it to, cause I didn't, I didn't, I didn't plan on making money off it. I'm like, that's fine. But do you want to make money off it? <laughs> like, <laughs> so, so now I've been that's selling cool. these shirts with that's this awesome. logo that she made. And it's like, that's something that I never would have come up on them with, on my own at all yeah i love that i love when like um it's just so exciting when we have fans it's like often yeah there's a lot of fans who yeah they're trying their best and they set they send you stuff it's like yeah that's cool but it's not really you know what we're looking for and then sometimes yeah like you say someone just sends you something and you're like oh my god this is so good you're incredibly talented let me pay you so much money please yeah it's, just, it's a great it's a great feeling and you know it's we're sort of in this position of power where we have the ability to um, support artists like that. Anyone we find who's doing cool stuff, it's kind of nice that we have this channel, this vessel, whatever, to um, mm -hmm. spread their joy and you know, you know, pay them money for you know creating cool stuff. It's nice. Yeah, especially like when they're probably not expecting it either. Like you said, like yeah. you know, Alex probably never expected that he'd be getting paid to do an entire full music video for you guys. You know. <laughs> a lot of work he, he spent like six months on it it's like wow so much it's the the amount of work involved in animating is just boggles the mind it's crazy and i was reading into his background too and it's like 
I don't understand how this works because I don't know anything about this kind of stuff, but he said he, he blends traditional hand-drawn animation with CGI. And I'm like, how do you even do that? Yeah, there's, like, you can you can tell some scenes look super 2D and there's like a couple of scenes like where those cannons drop. It's like yeah. a 3D thing. It's like, oh, it's, but it all blends really well. I have no idea like what <laughs> software he uses, what, he's, what he does to do that. It's, it just looks so good. Yeah, that's so awesome, man. And... Um, you know, the the singles that have released so far, too, have been so, at least in my opinion, pretty different. Because Magellan's Expedition, to me, was more of that, like, first couple albums sounding Ailstorm, yeah. that more traditional power metal-y Ailstorm sound. And then P-A-R-T-Y was right up there with, like, one of those, like, just, like Mexico. I mean, yeah. it's one of those super upbeat songs that you know the crowd's just going to be going bonkers the whole time. And then the latest is kind of a blend between both. Yeah, like, it's like it's we always try and do that. It's we, I think we're sort of cursed as a band <laughs> in that uh, we have several different fan bases at once. Like there's some kids who just want to hear funny disco party songs to sing along and drink to, and then there's like all these dudes in authentic pirate costumes who are judging us every time we don't do anything that looks authentic or 17th century and then there's like some people who like we've had a few songs in the past that were quite sort of i wouldn't say heavy but sort of a little bit thrashy and a bit more yeah. a bit more metal and it's we can never please any of them it's yeah. uh it's we're always it's like i think everyone's always going to hate something we do even the fans which is so and so it's like this balancing act when we do all the singles because like i i love writing songs and very different genres it's just a lot of fun like you know yeah. do a do a do a folk song do a pop song do just a metal song and um it's like this balancing act deciding right which song should we do as singles because do we want to we don't want to piss off any of the any of those little groups too much but we don't want to make them think we're, they're just this disjointed mess of songs so it's like a, it's very it's very political decision like choosing which songs to do first and like it was a very deliberate choice to do uh to do Miguel's expedition first because um I'm sure you're aware over the last couple of years we had this reputation of being a dumb party frat metal. And it's like, you know, it's, like, but it's like, you know if, if you look more than skin deep into the discography of this band, there's plenty of songs that are like way more in depth, but they're usually hidden in like, you know, track six or seven or eight yeah. on the album or the big final track. Whereas, so the people who are just kind of browsing the band, they'll see like the first hit singles and that's it. So we thought, right, let's lead the album and lead the singles with this real old school epic true metal adventure and it's you know it's um the, re the reaction like we expected has been mixed but i think it might have made people realize oh ailstorm can write some you know epic questing metal cool yeah i've definitely i've personally seen a mixed reaction but it's not just you guys man no band is going to please everybody i see it with every band i see it with every new band's video that i check out it's like there's always those fans that are just like this isn't as good as their older stuff. <laughs> just like, okay, maybe. But, and I say this as a metalhead, but metalheads are the fucking worst. I mean, <laughs> dude, it is. We really dude, are. Oh my God, dude. It's so perfect example. Yesterday I had a reaction in gear breakdown video to the new Polyphia where like, I already know what those guys are capable of. It's fucking crazy musicianship. Yeah. Fun gear to talk about. And I had a handful of comments where people are like, literally like, what the fuck is this? This isn't metal. Get this bullshit out of here. And I'm just like, dude, you guys know you can, you can enjoy other things that aren't 
metal, right? Like, yeah. it's so crazy. Yeah, like we see, we see comment. Like, if you go and say the um, any of our a lot of our videos from us, say our previous album, where there was a lot less piratiness to them, mm-hmm. and you see comments saying, "Oh, what happened to this band? I like them better when they dressed as pirates." Like, they literally released a video last week dressed as pirates. It's you know. <laughs> people can do more than one thing at once yeah. it's you know it's we're not just going to always give you the same video we're always wearing the same costumes that's boring i hate yeah. pirate well, costumes are really uncomfortable oh dude i bet like you know a lot of my music discovery has been over the last couple of years uh doing youtube because you probably know just as well as i do when you're immersed in the music industry sometimes you get focused on one area you stick oh, yeah. to the things that you know and working for bands I kind of get in the zone of who I'm working for. Like I'm, so for example, the last tour I did before the pandemic, I was teching for a country artist out of Nashville. I don't really listen, I don't really listen to country, but because I was working for him, I definitely kept up with who's got new singles coming out, what's on the charts. So I was very familiar with the entire country world, but I was neglecting everything else. I hadn't really discovered a lot of other music. So my first exposure to Ailstorm was like two years ago. Wow. And there's kind of that crazy um, market separation between the U.S. and the rest of the world. Because it's, it's, it's so different. It's, it's crazy. And it's like, um, I've, like for the past few weeks, I've been doing like mostly European press. And they're all very well, well versed in the kind of music we play and our kind of influences, all these sort of Euro folk metal bands and like power metal bands. And then like this week I'm doing USA press and um, it's like a different world. Like uh, yeah. y- you see like articles on like, you know, uh, metal injection or metal sucks, whatever. And they go, Ooh, here's an interesting band doing some weird, silly things. Look at these goofballs. Like, dude, that band you're calling goofballs sells out stadiums in Germany. I mean, yes. it's <laughs> That's because that's because to the U S metal is Papa Roach and five finger death punch. Yeah. Like I, really, it's so crazy to me that now I feel more immersed in European culture and the music scene over there right now than I do with the stuff here. And, you know, a a few years ago, I was nowhere near as into like power metal and stuff as I am now. There are bands that are massive stadium bands in Europe that I never even listened to until like two years ago. Like people, people in Europe are like, how did you never listen to Nightwish or Sabaton or Blind Guardian or any of these bands before yeah. you started a YouTube channel. It's like, cause they, they're, they get no marketing here. That's all it is. I mean, some of these biggest bands, like those, um, like the, the Nightwishes and the um, Sabatons, they're, they're doing, I, I think they're really ramping up their North America presence these days. They are. But up until like a few years ago, there was nothing. But like the, to, a band, for example, that's like that is, uh, this German band Powerwolf, who are oh, yeah. absolutely absolute top of the world in Europe, they've never played North America, which is nope. like weird. Like it's you know, I, I've got the feeling though they're gonna you know throw a whole pile of money at some big tour over here. It's gonna explode. You know, I I think so too. Um, just knowing, you know, I got a pretty good gauge on. I can see what bands are doing and how they're they're building. Um, what's the best way to say this? I can see because I've been doing YouTube videos how these fan bases are growing in the US for these European bands. And I already think if Powerwolf booked a tour over here, it would be insane because there are there are people in the US that are dying for some of these bands to come over. And 
you know, over the last couple of years with the pandemic and people discovering music and regardless of what way that was, whether it was just reactions or live streams online from the bands, um, Nightwish, for example, last time they played Nashville, they were at, I don't know if you're familiar with the venues here, but Marathon Music Works, like a 1200 cap venue. Wow. Like, but if they go to South America or anywhere else in the world, they're playing over 10,000. Oh, that, actually, that, that's the thing. We, we, we booked this South American tour and then we, we, we announced the dates. And then as soon as we announced it, someone was like, dude, you're, you're playing in Buenos Aires, Argentina on the same day as Nightwish. And they're playing <laughs> a, a 12,000 capacity stadium. I was like, God damn it. So um, we're going to move that gig. But yeah, it's like, it's crazy. The things they do in South America are insane. You know? Yeah. And, and like Sabaton. Sabaton is coming here uh, in October. And they're playing at the Ryman Auditorium. <laughs> and I'm like, what I had, what I had, I had both um, Hannes and Joachim on this podcast. And I was like, do you guys know anything about the Ryman Auditorium? And they're like, I no, would I'm love like, to play the Ryman. Dude, more now. <laughs> like, man, it's wasted on the Euros, wasted on them. <laughs> like, and, and it's funny because I was explaining the Ryman to them. I was like, this place was known as the mother church of country music. Like, like did, does that get you into the into the Hall of Fame? If you, <laughs> no, I mean it, it. It doesn't automatically, but I mean that's like you get like actually, inducted into the Grand Old Opry. If you like, imagine that sabaton in the Grand Old Opry, <laughs> dude, it would it would never happen. Like, and I say that because the last artist I worked for is a member of the Grand Old Opry, and uh, who was I, it? It was uh, Dustin Lynch. Okay, uh, he got. Um, he, yeah, he's he's newer, but um, when I so when I first started working for him. His first album had just came out. Like we were doing like clubs, like 500 to a thousand every night. By the time I got done working for him, uh, we were like multiple buses in a semi arenas, you know, wow. stuff like that. that. Dude, country cool. is the one genre that blows my mind where like, you don't even have to try. <laughs> like with, with rock and metal and stuff, all these bands for, years are grinding it out in like vans and trailers and playing clubs and all this. And then I see these country artists that have one single that just blows up and they're immediately busted. See, I think that it's, that's kind of like the, um, the way metal is in Europe. Like if you're just any dumbass metal band in Europe and you have one song that goes off, you'll get a record deal with nuclear blast. You'll be playing all these festivals. Whereas then you see metal bands in the U S and they've been like struggling for 15 years doing shitty van tours, you know, working at 7-Eleven between, between tours. Like, man, it must really suck to be an American metal band, especially one that's trying to be, like, European metal. It's like, mm -hmm. you're going to have a really bad time. Just I don't want to say this, but give up now. It's, 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 you're doomed. <laughs> Dude, it's, it's wild. And it's the reason I became a roadie, because I was in a band. We toured for three years nonstop, like, and in a van and trailer, just the five of us touring North America all the time. And I think in those three years, I probably never had more than like $10 in my bank account. And I was at yeah. one point, I was just like, this fucking sucks. I don't want to live like this. I think that's also a reason why a lot of the, the big European bands, they don't want to come to America to play. It's because, you know, back there, you know, they're doing these huge things, they're making a whole pile of money, a whole pile of money, mm -hmm. really. And then they don't really want thing to come and, you know, come to the US and play a show at the riot room in Kansas City to 50 people and have been a sweaty mess. It's like, it's not worth their time. Like, you know, if you're, if you're doing this huge stadium shit in Europe, you, you've got to, you can have a hard time convincing yourself to play in a pub in America, you know? Yeah. And a lot of fans don't understand that. A lot of the, a lot of the fans in the U S are just like, why doesn't this band come here? 
and I have I've taken a lot of time to explain to people on my channel just because I've I've been there. I get it. When bands tour overseas, their their goal is basically to break even. They're not yeah. when they tour overseas, they're not making money. So perfect example. Um, my next tour that I'm doing is actually <coughs> with Electric Cowboy. Oh, wow. Um so jealous. I'm dude, it's gonna be so fun. Like the funny thing is everybody thinks because I got that job offer that I like know them really well from, you know, the, I mean, we got to know each other from just me doing reactions, but I don't really know those guys that well. It's just, they wanted an American on their tour. They knew me from my videos and they knew my background and stuff. And their manager called and we talked it out and, you know, I'm in the unique position where because they're bringing their German crew, I have so many contacts from being in the industry that I'm like, let me basically production manage this tour for you. I'll rent everything. I'll get everything lined up. And what the fans don't realize is really the cost of doing something like that. So to even get over here, you're talking not even just the flights, but the visas and all that. And this is stuff that, you know, I'm kind of just saying yeah. this for the people listening, but then what I've been working on right now, a bus rental buses in the U S anywhere not fucking cheap no. um oh it's, got, it's crazy in europe right now as well like oh it's, it's so dumb here and gas prices are higher here than they've uh, they've been in 12 years so that yeah. doesn't help um but you're talking the the bus the cost of a bus per day is is ridiculous it's more than people probably would think it is then you got to rent all the audio gear then the lighting package that you're going to take and because European wireless frequencies can't be used in the U.S., they were planning on bringing their stuff. And I was like, no, you're going to have to rent all of it. So on the, on the one thing, the one thing that gets us through in the States is like, OK, you want to rent all this gear. And then the rental company goes, OK, uh, please show us your uh, your renter's insurance. Like, or what? We don't <laughs> we don't have renter's insurance. Like, it's not a thing in Europe. Like, it usually yeah. comes bundled with the shit you get your rent. It's like, yeah. you mean I've got to take out a separate insurance policy? How the hell do I do that? I've yeah. got no idea. What the hell? <laughs> so, yeah, you've got to you've got to have voting insurance. Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Dude. And it's a it's, whole world of bureaucracy trying to tour over here. Yeah. And on top of that, it's like, so the, the tour that we're doing, it was booked a while back. And I think Electric Cowboy in the last six months has just it exploded. <sighs> and... This tour that we're doing in the U.S. is so interesting because, like, one day we'll be doing, like, a 2,000-cap theater. Then the next day we're playing at a 300-cap bar in El Paso, Texas. <laughs> and, you know, you do the math in your head and you think about ticket prices and then I see how much all this stuff is going to cost to rent. And I'll be like, yeah, these, these, these guys will be lucky if they just break even from coming and doing a full tour in the U.S. And that is the reality for most bands from overseas that come over here. But I mean, if you, if you see what they've been doing in Germany recently, oh, it's, it's ridiculous, you know, they're, dude. They're, they're, that's basically going to fund this tour. You know, they're going to make so much money. Yeah, gonna... and not only that, but like they already announced their headlining tour for next year, and it it's even bigger. It, and I, another, another tour in the states? No, 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 no. In, in Europe, Europe. It, it blew my I, mind. I really want to see them. I really want. They're, they're the one band I've actually got into. Like, you know, I'm like well, I'm the same age. I'm a 30, 35, 30, I'm, I think I'm thirty six. This month. God, like. <laughs> You know, you, you get to that point where you're past about 30 and it's like, you really notice you don't listen to anything new. Your, your idea yeah. of what good culture is stops at 30. But I've actually, it's like, but they dropped all those songs, like, you know, starting with the hyper hyper. And I was like, this is what I want to do. I want to be that band. 
I want to get away with stupid costumes and everyone going, yes, this is great. Instead of, no, that's not a pirate costume. Fuck you guys. <laughs> what a good band. What a good band. Dude, and it's and it's funny because, you know, somebody asked in a comment. Re- oh, no, it was, it was fucking um, Karan from Bloodywood. I was talking to him recently and I was like, yeah, Electric Cowboy is coming to the States. And he goes, oh, is it their first time? I was like, it's their first headliner, but they were here in like 2011, just little things, whatever. And he goes, wait, I thought they were a new band. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, didn't they come out in like 2020? And I was like, no, they've been a band since like 2010. And he's like, so many people think that just because they've gotten big now. But you know, you listen to earlier stuff. It's just like real sort of like scene core hot topic shit. It's like, it's definitely nowhere near the same level. I don't know what happened. Did they like get some external writers or did the guy, this guy have this crazy epiphany or what? Oh no, I'll tell you what happened. Um, So right before Hypa Hypa, like six months before there, one of their original singers left the band. Okay. And there was a, from what I understand, I don't know everything. And I, I actually know him, um, Sebastian, their old singer better than I actually know the electric callboy guys. Um, big creative differences. He wanted to do something different. They wanted to do more stuff like hypa hypa and he decided to leave. And then they brought in Nico who used to be into the rats and wolves. And that's when everything clicked. And it's, it's really funny to me because you see that with a lot of bands, you can see bands that have gone for years at the same level with no real growth or decline or anything. And then there's just one little change and all of a sudden everything clicks and it's nothing against their old singer or against them for what they were doing. But there are some times where a band's lineup changes. And then you just get that magical combination of all these people that were just tailored to be in the same band together and everything just clicks. And that's yeah. what's happening with them right now. I find that really reassuring, you know, as someone who's been in this, we've been doing this for like uh, what, 15 years now, at least um, that, you know, there's often this conception, misconception rather that, you know, you make it big on your first hit and that's it. And it's all mm-hmm. downhill from there, but there's plenty of bands who are like five or six albums deep, then suddenly they explode. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's it's never too late to to for your hit song to happen. You know, yeah. there's all these bands you you could you could go on forever, slogging away, being an unknown support band. Then you release that one song and it all changes. Yeah. And I, I find that so reassuring. Like it's it's not this you know guaranteed downward spiral. You know, once after your first couple of albums, yeah. which is nice. Well, the same thing happened with um, Lorna Shore recently too, and more on the yeah yeah they they had yeah they had a way more change. extreme side, but it's like. Yeah. Will came into the band and it's, it's in my opinion and perception of it, it's the same thing. It just, they've been around for 12 years, just metal club scene. And then all of a sudden they just finally have that perfect lineup where they're able to do everything they want and it just clicks. And now they're just blowing up in that scene. I think that band's really interesting because um, it's, it's like Americans finally discovering symphonic metal, symphonic extreme metal. It's like, yeah. wow, you can put an orchestra and screams and blast beats together. It's like, yeah. The They've funny, been doing that in Norway for 20 years, 30 the, years. Yeah, <laughs> the funny thing is, though, is that Lorna Shore has always been doing that. It's just nobody is, they they just, they haven't had, like, the presence that they have now. So everybody yeah. that's like, oh, this is really cool. I was like, yeah, go listen to their last four albums. <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's just crazy how, like, sometimes it's, you know, is it just, is it the song that does it? Is it, like, is it some clever marketing? I don't know how, there's, 
there's some mystery and magic in the industry and how it works. And I just don't know. I don't know. I wish I knew. I wish I knew the yeah. secret, just how, how it is you do it and become popular. It's, it's crazy. It's in, and again, back to the markets, it's just so weird to me that like in Europe, symphonic metal and power metal and stuff is such a big thing. But yeah. over here, it's like, dude, most of the metal heads over here, like you start putting symphonic or when I say metal heads, I'm talking people that are like my age or older. We're the ones that grew up in the era of like the new wave of American metal with like Pantera and machine head and stuff like that. It's like, dude, those are the metal heads that are like, don't put symphonic elements in my metal. That's, that's, you know, you get those people that are like, that's gay. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, all right, dude. Um, what's crazy is we're doing this, um, this festival in Denmark. It's like Copenhagen. It's called. And like, Corn, you know, you know, corn. Everyone knows corn. Yeah. Are like an opening band. Yeah. Like, it's wild. Like we're we're like playing several steps above corn. It's like what the hell is going on? This that's is, it's like it's like two a clash of different cultures. It's crazy. That's amazing because here that would yeah. never yeah, the, the, Im imagine corn supporting Alestorm in America. Could you imagine? Yeah. I mean, dude. The, I'm. They're one of those bands that I'm so still surprised whenever I see them announce tours. Like. They never really went anywhere, but I constantly forget about them. Like, it's crazy like you know, when I was in high school, they were like the band for me and oh. my friends. They, they, like they were my Corn was my first ever well, I say metal band. It's you know debatable if you call it metal or whatever it is or metalcore yeah. or hardcore, but it's it's they were my first band. Like my first the first album I ever bought was Issues, and it's like oh no way. Yep, crazy isn't it? Um, I think the album the album before that uh, Follow the Leader. Yeah, that was one of the albums when I was younger that um, I would say probably I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily go as far as saying it changed my life, but it was very impactful on the music that I was listening to at the time. Like it was new. It was fresh. It was like it's like when um, Limp Bizkit really blew up. It was like at the time it was like, wow, these guys are putting hip hop over like metal. Like this isn't going to work. It's <laughs> yeah. crazy. Yeah, and but yeah, because like the um when I, when I was growing up getting music like the UK, especially Scotland, doesn't really isn't really part of that Europe bubble. Bubble, it's like mm. you know all those symphonic -y bands, all these Nightwishes and Sabatons, they'd never come to the UK. So the UK was sort of more more in step with the US type metal. So yeah, it was it was thing, like all my first bands were like you know Corn, Pantera, System of a Down, Slipknot. That was like that was what was even Disturbed. That, man, disturbed wow what a band it was all that that was like what i got into growing up then then like a couple of years later i suddenly heard like power metal and symphonic metal i was like yep this is where i'm going bye guys you know? yeah and it's it's funny you bring up the uk thing because i've said this so many times on my channel now is like every time i check out a new band from the uk that i know is gonna be like in the realm of metalcore i'm like they're gonna sound like architects <laughs> it's yeah, guaranteed it's, like, that is such a thing these days everyone just sounds like that it's yeah I, i've never i've never got into that sort of thing it's never appealed to me you know i've not i'm, I'm not really one for uh technical playing you know yeah. it's, it's never it's never done it for me <laughs> you say you're not one for technical playing and one of your guitar players or your guitar player is a fucking shredding master it's so good it's crazy <laughs> like, it's, yeah because like his um his uh his music taste is is very much into shredders and stuff mm -hmm. and you know, well, I mean, he used to be in Leander Kills as well. And that's, I mean, yep. dude, that's a band that every now and then when we're watching music on Twitch, somebody will like request a Leander Kills song. And every time we're all just like, who does that? That's, that's crazy. Away. Cause that's like, it, it, it's Hungary, you know, yeah. Leander and our oh, guitarist Matthias from Hungary and Leander Kills is Hungarian band. 
Hungary is like its own little bubble. I guess it's like some little leftover of being stuck behind the Iron Curtain. They have their own metal scene. They have this, and like this guy Leander, he's just this, he's like our age, and he's just this silly guy. And he's got multiple gold records and number ones in Hungary. But you know, no one's ever heard of him outside of Hungary. It's crazy. No, no. He actually, we've actually got him on our next album. From the album, he uh, one of the bonus tracks is like a cover of an '80s Hungarian disco song. No way. Yeah, and he and he sings one of the verses, so it, it's it's great. Oh, all in Hungarian. That's awesome. That that right there is probably why it doesn't like one of the things that I've noticed with American music listeners is that if it's not in English. It's a uphill battle. Like the only band I can think of off the top of my head right now that is Rammstein. really broken through. Yeah, it, yeah. Rammstein, exa- exactly. Like yeah, that's why I, I wondered about that new, um, the new Electric Cowboy song, Space Man, which has like you know, entire verses in German. It's like that's a brave move when you're trying yeah. to break into the rest of the world. But you know, I don't know. Yeah, I I think it'll do. I mean, I already know it's doing well over here because I've seen how many Americans are into it. Man, and I, you look at the numbers like on Spotify and stuff. It's, yeah, and, it's and part of that too is that, um, you know, the, the guest vocalist on that song, Finch, is literally a number one rapper in Germany. I'd and, never heard of him before this, but yet, again, it's like all these weird local scenes that, you know, yeah. no one ever hears of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've listened to a lot of his other music like after I found out who he was. And it's not stuff i would listen to normally but the german rap scene is so interesting to me because there's a lot of people that i've met that are into it and they suggest me these artists every now and then and it's either one of two things it's either really like edm hard bass heavy stuff or it sounds like early 90s u.s gangster rap (laughs) yeah that's um our our producer lassa he he knows people who who do that sort of German rap and all the ones he know, yeah, they 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 try to sound like they're from like Compton in the early nineties. It's like <laughs> yeah. this is so embarrassing You're from Germany. This is just so wrong. Yeah. I, I had on uh Alex from uh Malevolence on the podcast recently and he was saying right now he's like deep in like a German hip hop rabbit hole. Wow. And he, he sent me some of the things that uh, he's been listening to. And everything I listened to, I was like, this straight up sounds like West Coast 1991 rap. <laughs> it's, so, it's, it's like, bless the little hearts. They're, they're yeah. trying their best. Yeah, yeah. But I, I love the different scenes, man. Music discovery for me in the last couple of years has been so fun, dude. And, like, and it's it's led me to, to broadening horizons in my own life. Like, I've been learning German. And because I hope by the time that those guys get here, I can actually carry a conversation with them, even though they, they all speak English. Right? They speak perfect yeah. English, yeah. but I figured that would just be kind of a cool yeah, thing. Isn't but... it, it, it's polite, isn't it? Polite. To... Yeah. And... Tag and Gates. And... <laughs> yeah, yeah. And with with um, YouTube in the analytics, you get to see where people watch your channel from. Dude, the U.S. is like the fourth country of viewership in order for me. It's like. Germany, Sweden, and Finland are like my top three really? countries that watch my channel on YouTube. So the majority of the people that watch my channel are in Europe anyways. So I guess it would kind of just naturally make sense that a lot of my focus and on what I'm doing is over there and not here. That's weird because I guess um, Scandinavia, like you know Sweden, Norway, Finland, it's always been kind of weird for us. We never really broke into that mm-hmm. place. I don't know if it's we just never had the touring opportunities or the connections, but 
we've it's it's like it's always been a, a strange place for us like most of our popularity seems to have been in like countries where they have like uk uh netherlands belgium and france for some reason not even germans because i feel like a lot of germans they they feel like we're not traditional enough it's you know germany is a big sort of like you know proper metal market you know denim and leather and um yeah I mean, I guess it's changing, but you know, you know, ten years ago, it was all like bands like Hammerfall, and oh yeah, the War, and all this stuff, um, and they've never quite got our sense of humor. I don't know. I think it's if we're just too stupid for them. What it's it's. I, I think that'll change, dude. I think you guys and Electric Cowboy would Man. be a perfect touring combo. Yes, please. I I seriously do like. <laughs> Stick stick some kind words in their ears, saying, "Hey, I'll just this band called Hailstorm." Yeah, I'll just I'll just blast play on the, the tour new, bus casually. You know? Yeah, I'll just blast the new album when we're on the bus. You I'm know? saying that you know I was thinking like um I was looking you know having a bit of reminisce watching our our music videos and I watched um I was watching our video for um, Treasure Chest Party Quest, which was mm-hmm. like the first single from the last album, and just reading the old comments because you know that was one of those videos that got a lot of like "fuck you guys, this isn't metal." <laughs> And I was noticing comments saying, oh, that's Ailstorm just copying uh, Electric Cowboy. This is just some Hyper Hyper copy. I was like, this song came out two months before Hyper Hyper. (laughs) We did the ironic cheesy disco bullshit before they did. It's like, you know, it's, uh, but it didn't work for us. It's weird. It it worked so well for them. But for us, it was like, no, do not do this ever again. Or you are over. It's such a weird thing. No, it's it's such a weird thing. I want to be that band. I want to be them. It's 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 so funny because I've seen so many comments like that with new stuff that's coming out. It's like, oh, this is just copying this. I was like, well, this came out before that did. How does that work? Like, you know. Um, I I understand what people mean in a way. Like, there has been a bit of a glut of um, that sort of ironic synthwave '80s mm -hmm. fake retro stuff, and it's like, yeah, maybe that kind of look is getting a bit tired. But you know. I liked our little song. I liked our video. It was absolutely yeah. insane. I right, just keep doing what you do, man. Because like, like I said, the comments that I see online and when I do reactions to Ailstorm stuff, it's like, I'll see maybe one or two people that say something dumb. And that's, unfortunately, that's what we always focus on. There could be a hundred people that say they love what you're doing. And one person that says this sucks, but for some reason, the one person that says this sucks is going to be the person that bummed. Like we it's, think um, it's, it's really bothered me the last couple of years, because obviously, you know, we've not had a chance to play live. Mm. And usually that's how I gauge the reaction to stuff is seeing an audience go absolutely wild. Go, yes, they like this. But now you're, you're sitting at home and your only way to interact with fans is YouTube comments, which is a, a notorious uh, cesspit at, at the best of times. And it yeah. just, really gets to my head like i i need to teach stuff don't don't read what people are saying they're dumb it's all dumb it's fine there's a million people out there who think it's great just just think about them but you know we don't we don't get to see the real fans because we're stuck at home five thousand miles away Mm -hmm. but i think that's one of the things i'm looking forward to in this whole summer touring festival run it's just that sort of reset of going oh yeah this is what we do we play songs when people have a great time yeah yeah what dude your touring schedule i just wanted to bring this up i saw so so after after all of your european runs you've got latin america in october yep and then you've got australia in november and all i could think of when i saw that schedule was that's a lot of flying and no sleeping unless you're on a plane (laughs) like that's gonna be so tiring (laughs) so yeah okay number one that uh that summer festival run 
that pretty much all those shows were booked for 2020. You know, that was like the, uh, that was going to be our, our big summer. I, I even remember the meeting we had with our, with our agent, uh, Christoph, we, we sat there at a restaurant and he went over all this stuff. Was like 2020 is going to be your year guys. It's going to be huge. We were so excited. We put a toast and celebrated. And of course all got shut down. Yeah. And that was a pretty busy schedule, but it worked. There was like a perfect routing. It was all this crazy logistic nightmare that worked. Everything eventually got rescheduled for 2022, but all the festivals moved slightly. The days of the week changed slightly. And now suddenly we have this absolute nightmare routing that is possibly impossible. I, I you know, we, we've got all the flights and stuff, but I would not be surprised if something goes wrong. We have to pull the show. Um, our show in, I talked to this festival in, in Denmark at Copenhagen. We, we get off stage at 5.30. At 8.30, we are literally in the sky on the way to the next gig. But there's like three hours after the, after the show ends, a plane is, takes off. And it's like, we have to pack up, get to the airport, get checked in, get on the plane, and it's going to be an absolute nightmare. Dude, I've been the, there. The, there's no, the flights just do not make sense. There's, there's, and airports are crazy already this summer. It's, it's tough. We will not sleep. We will not sleep one bit. Mm-hmm. you know it's fun it's i just can't wait to get going and do yeah it, you know? it's it, it's a grueling schedule but i mean at the same time i've always told people like i could be so tired and be having the shittiest day ever but the second the show starts even me just as a guitar tech the second that yeah. show starts it's i forget about everything that happened and it's just it's the best time ever you know yeah i, I tend to sleep all afternoon backstage and then i wake up and then just the adrenaline starts and you're good mm-hmm. and um it was it was funny too because that just made me think. Um, I think the, if I remember right, that that electric cowboy tour in the states, it's it's twenty twenty seven days, twenty five shows. So there's two days off. There's like eight shows, then a day off, then like twelve shows, then a day off, then like seven or five That's or six crazy. more shows. And I was looking at the routing, and in my head, as as a crew guy, like worst case scenario, I'm like. If a bus breaks down on one of these drives, we're not going to make it. We've we've done tours in America where the only reason we managed to get from show A to show B is that we crossed two time zones going west and made up two hours. It's like <laughs> yeah. the only reason we got there just before doors is like this is insane. This is not right. Yeah, we're bus drivers. Oh, dude, <laughs> I I have told people so many times. I I feel as though the bus drivers are probably the most important people on the road. And are often underrated. I remember when I was, I was, um, I tour managed this band a while back that when we were getting a bus, they're like, why is the bus driver's rate so much higher than like your guys's rates? I was like, I'm, I'm fine with that. Think about what a bus driver is doing, driving, driving for 10 hours overnight while we're all sleeping and making sure he doesn't crash and kill everybody. Every single bus driver we've had has in America has been. A, l- a little bit loopy, you know. <laughs> you occasionally sit up in the passenger seat up front and have a chat. And you yeah. Go, this this guy is this guy is mentally unstable. This is <laughs> this is not good. But, but they're all very happy just sitting there. Yeah. You can do trucker math, you know. It's a, it's a dude. But bus drivers are a different breed of people. <laughs> scary people. Hey, good guys. Oh, I dude. couldn't do it. No, it, it it takes it takes everybody to make a tour go, even from the the bus drivers and the truck drivers and all that. Like one of one of our old crew bus drivers that we had on one of my last tours is this guy that uh, he grew up in uh, like 
Eastern Canada, not in Quebec, but he grew up speaking French. Okay. And, and then he moved to Boston when he was like 15. And he also has a stutter. So he has this crazy French Canadian Bostonian stuttering accent. <laughs> what a mess. And I used to, the, the fucking <laughs> funniest dude. And I used to literally lose sleep because I just wanted to sit up in the jump seat and just talk to him at night because he's so funny. That's cool. That's awesome. But yeah, we have, we have this driver we always work with. Uh, his name's uh, his name's Jason and he is just the funniest guy. You can just sit and he tells stories. It's like, I don't think anything of what you've just said is true, but I, I feel forced to believe it. You know? yeah. Weird. Dude, bus drivers sometimes have the best stories too because like if you get a driver who because you know some of these drivers don't always work for the same artists they jump around to fill in time schedules and stuff it's like we had a driver once that like we had a crew bus driver fill in for us once that he was joey jordison's driver on a slipknot tour he drove marilyn manson for like three years and then somebody else and some of the stories he would tell us about shit that happened on their bus you you would almost not believe it but then you'd be like well, I feel like we've had the same driver. I remember a guy telling a lot of stories about Marilyn Manson as well. <laughs> I think everybody in the U.S. has at least one Marilyn Manson story that's toured. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I uh, I always thought the stories about people like that were just over-exaggerated and overblown. I was like, there's no way that they're like that wild of a person when they're not like on stage. And then I actually have some friends that have done like multiple tours with Marilyn Manson. They're like, oh no, he's a crazy person wow. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> couldn't do it it's like we just we, we often get on the bus and we're just like super chill just sit there you know obviously there's always someone who's up until 5 a.m drinking gin but you know yeah. apart from that it's i think i don't know are we boring like you, you hear all these rock star stories it's like are we doing something wrong should, should we be doing all this crazy cocaine filled insanity but maybe not i don't know it's, it's i feel like we're missing out on something no dude you know i think the days of Cause you got to think Marilyn Manson's been touring since the mid nineties slipknot late nineties. You know, a lot of these artists that are still touring now that started touring in the nineties, they kind of cut their teeth in that scene when it was still party hard, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, like above everything else. Nowadays, most of the tours I've been on are like, you know, I've, I've had a handful that just party their asses off, but for the most part, it's like, everybody just does their job and then goes and goes to sleep, you know, okay. but I, I've, you know, one of the wildest tours I ever did, um, in terms of not the band, but the crew that I was with. Oh, no, um, no, 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 no. I mean, okay. In 2011, I did merchandise for Van Halen okay. and I was the youngest person on that crew by years. And, I had minimal, minimal interaction with the band. When you're on a tour that size, you don't, unless you're yeah. teching for that person, you don't see the band. I think I may have talked to, you know, two of the band members twice in like five months. Um, but the crew guys on that tour were all like guys that were in their sixties that had toured with Van Halen in the seventies and eighties and stuff. And some of the stories that they had about how they used to act to so like touring in the eighties and shit, it's like, this doesn't, this doesn't sound possible. Like how much cocaine they were snorting every morning and how much they were drinking every night. It's like this, it sounds like you, you would die. <laughs> like They're like, no, that's just the way it was, man. We just got used to it. Yeah. I've, I've talked to a few guys who did touring in the eighties and the seventies. And it's like, 
this is wild. Like, this is so rock and roll. There's like guys who toured with like, you know, pop acts in the 70s. Like, dude, the shit they were doing is makes what we do just seem so pathetic. And we're meant to be the metal guys who live for the road and touring and heavy metal. And here's some dude in the pop band living a bigger rock and roll lifestyle than we ever have. Uh, you know who you know who parties harder than what genre parties harder than any I've ever worked for? What's that? Country. Oh hell yeah, brother. <laughs> It is ridiculous, dude. I mean, you'd you'd swear that partying your face off every night and getting blackout drunk and doing something dumb is part of your job requirement. You know, the last gig I went to was um, Garth Brooks at Nissan Stadium. Yes, dude. <laughs> and it was the best gig of my life. It was incredible. I will I say, was singing along so hard. It was great. I will say, we we when I worked for Dustin, we did two shows with Garth. He is the nicest fucking musician i've ever met everybody on the planet should take that's a musician should take notes from him on how you treat like your openers and your crew and stuff like i was blown away it just unbelievable and then you know we got to watch a couple shows and you know i i know a handful of garth brooks songs from when i was younger but it was a th- how long did he play at nissan what was it like oh, three God, hours? I, mean, I was so drunk i, I don't know <laughs> Two hours, maybe at least, like, because uh, I, I was with a couple of friends from England, yeah, and they came over, it was like, uh, you know, showing them, welcome to Tennessee. This is how we live. We, yeah. we go and see Garth Brooks in Nashville. And we just kept buying drinks after drinks after drinks. I literally had a hangover for 10 days. I felt so bad. I, I actually went to the doctor and got a brain scan because, like, I think I've done, <laughs> I think I've damaged myself. I, th- I don't know what I've done. And beers at Nissan Stadium are probably like $18 a beer. <laughs> oh, they were, yeah, we, we were on the, uh, the whiskey sours and things. And they were like, yeah, it was tw- it was 25 bucks a drink. Oh <laughs> so much money. Dude. <laughs> yeah, I, but yeah, he, he played a long time and it was great. I remember when, so one of the gigs we did with him, he played, he played a three hour set. That was like the main set. But then they wanted to keep playing more. So he just literally went to the downstage edge of the crowd in an arena and was just like, what do you want to hear that we haven't played? All right, let's do it for like another Crazy. hour. Those like, dudes, like those country dudes, like those all those session guys, they are the real talented dudes. Like the guys who can go up there and play anything. Absolutely. You know, like guys in metal bands, they they know their fifteen song set. And that's pretty much it. Like yeah. I, I couldn't play more than ten songs, maybe. But um, those guys, like yo, I'll play anything. Yeah, it's great. I, I wish I could do that, dude. It's funny because with some of the modern country artists, the you know, everybody knows that when you're going to the show, you're going to see whoever's name is on the marquee. All these country artists are the principal artists that are the ownership behind the name and the band. Like all the bands with these country people are just hired guns for the most part. But the hired guns are really the talented ones, dude. These oh, yeah. musicians, I I was in so many scenarios on tour with Dustin where like he'd get in the talkback mic and be like, Hey guys, I want to cover this song just for fun because the crowd's going crazy. And it's a song we've never rehearsed and not one of his songs, like a random, it's like, hey, I want to play, you know, I don't know, just some random country song from the 90s. And the band all looks at each other and they kind of look around. They're like, what key? A? All right, cool. And then they just start and they hit it flawlessly. And you're like, how the fuck do they know this? I guess all those guys, like they, um, they probably cut their teeth playing all the honky tonks where you have to play yeah. every single song that has ever been, you know, recorded. Mm-hmm. You just know everything. So it's such a different world. Yeah. It's, it, I mean, you know, you know, on Broadway here, dude, there's a hundred stages on Broadway now. Man, like I, like I say, the last time I was in Nashville was, uh, 
before that show was like 2016 and I was doing my uh, I did my green card thing I had to go to Nashville and then to, had a little, we had a little night out on, on Broadway and it was kind of quiet and whatever I was like yeah this is kind of fun yeehaw I'm in Nashville went back a couple of months ago for that Garth show turned the corner onto Broadway I was like oh my god what has happened to this town there's yeah. like I've never seen so many people in my life like it was there's been a transformation in Nashville it's crazy it's like the tourist it's, capital of the US now it's 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 like it, it makes it makes New Orleans look like nothing. It's it's ridiculous. I was like, holy shit! It's like this is in the same state I live in. You know, I I, I spend my days in a field, surrounded by sheep. My sheep farmer these days. <laughs> I spend my days surrounded by sheep, and then I go a little bit west in the same state, and then suddenly there's more people getting more drunk than I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah, it's it's insane. My wife and I we we live in Nashville, like in the city limits. Oh yeah but we live far enough away that we're not near downtown. Like where we live feels like a suburb. Dude, we do not go downtown. No, no. We, we like the locals are not the ones that go down to Broadway. No, it's, they don't. it's all no. the tourists. Like, you know, and yeah, yeah. I, I kind of felt so like, so like almost like secondhand embarrassed being there. It's like, you know, like, no, uh, I actually live in Tennessee. I'm not one of these. Yeehaw, buy a cowboy hat tourists. I promise. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's dude. That's the best. Like whenever my wife used to take me to the airport uh, to leave for tour, we used to sit at the Starbucks in the airport where all the um, arrivals were coming out. And you could spot the tourists because everybody's wearing bedazzled cowboy hats and cowboy boots and like thinking that that's how people that live here dress. No. <laughs> it's I think, so uh, wild. I think what you're more likely to see a guy in camo pants and orange shirt and a tractor supply ball cap, you know? You know yeah. That's and, the national and, state dress of Tennessee. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And dude, over the pandemic, it was so fucking funny, man, because like we always joke about when you're on tour, especially in the U S we call them like, um, if you're familiar with like truck stop, Jesus t-shirts at every truck yeah. stop, there's like the t-shirts that have either Jesus or second amendment rights. Yes. Stuff or... I've, I've bought a couple of those. I love oh, that. Dude, that became like the, the attire of choice for all of Nashville during the pandemic, because people were trying to make statements and yeah. everybody in this city was so divided over the mask mandate that, you, I, I would go to the grocery store and I like, there'd literally be like, you know, 50 year old people walking around or, well, I'd say older actually. Cause I remember one day seeing a guy that was wearing like a Vietnam veteran hat. So he's probably like seventies. And then he had like a t-shirt on that just said like, fuck Fauci or something. Yeah. <laughs> just like, Jesus Christ. Clandemic or something. Yeah. Like, like in public. And I'm just like, God, dude, <laughs> like, it's so funny here, dude. People have no class. It's crazy. Oh, living in Tennessee is is I love so it. interesting. I love how dumb this. I mean, I, I love the state. I love everything about it. But I also love how dumb it is. And I, I agree live for this stuff. It's it's a party. It really is. People probably think we're like being mean about the people here. But I'm like, if you're from here or you've been here, you understand. Like, there's yeah. something special about the South and the U.S. That's like. It's it's horrible, but it's like magical at the same time. Yeah, I, I, people think, oh, it's a bad place. Everything. No, people are nice. People are great. Yeah. Just, they're also crazy, and <laughs> you learn to live with it, and it's fun. You just, you know, it's uh, all my all my neighbors are kind of a a bit weird, but it's you know, I like them all. They're really nice, nice old country folks. You know, they, they've all been oh, yeah. literally they've all been there since like the seventeen hundreds. You know, in, in the same spot of land, and it's I love it. It's I, I love being in Tennessee and. Yeah. I, I, I much prefer it here to being in like Europe. Like, you know, as much as what we do musically involves being in Europe all the time, I'd, I'd rather be here than anywhere else. It's, it's funny. 
our our we have an, our our neighborhood is pretty tame for the most part, but we do have these people that live right across the street from us that my wife and I affectionately affectionately refer to as the hillbillies, and um, they're always like 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 two summers ago they built a swimming pool in their yard, but they put it in the front yard. <laughs> So Hell yeah! And then uh, so you can see the cars going by, just yeah. the people watching. It's great. Um, any holiday, fireworks, and I'm not talking like cheap. I'm talking full blown illegal fireworks just exploding all night long, like Memorial Day, Fourth of July, New Year's, and then recently, this was probably the greatest experience I ever had with this guy. I I'm cooking dinner like a couple weeks ago, and my dogs are going nuts. They're looking out the front door or the front window. And I'm like, what are they doing? And my wife's like, there's something in our yard. And I'm like, okay. So I like come out and look and I just see this big dome shape in our, in our, like a tan dome shape in our front yard, like pretty large too. I'm trying to think of what, what I could compare the size to, but it was noticeable. We'll say that. So I go out my front door and I realize as I'm getting closer, it's a big tortoise, like, <laughs> Not a turtle, not like a native to Tennessee turtle. I'm talking like a like an exotic tortoise. Like one of those Galapagos giant ones. Yeah, name. literally wow. not that big, but it was probably 50, 60 pounds. It came up to like my knees. <laughs> and I was like, this is so bizarre. And it's just wandering around my front yard, eating my grass. And eventually it starts slowly walking towards the hillbilly's house across the street. And I'm like... I just jokingly, I said to my wife, I'm like, I wonder if it's theirs. And I was like, and then I kind of forgot about it. Two days later, I'm outside doing yard work. And the guy that lives across the street comes out and he's like, I've never talked to this guy before. I've always just waved to him. I've never talked to him. He's just like, Hey man, I don't think we've ever spoken before. Is my name's Chuck. Um, y'all seen a turtle around anywhere? <laughs> I'm just like, uh, yeah, actually I have. Is it yours? And he's like, yeah, man, I got two tortoises out back here and they, they're in a pen, but one of them's an escape artist, man. He always just gets out and roams Great. around and I can't find him. And I'm just like, I have, I had so many questions, but I was just like, yeah, last I saw him, he was in my front yard like two days ago. And he's like, all right, cool, man. Well, you know, if you see him, just give me a knock on the door. I'll come bring him back. It's like, that, that is fantastic. All right. <laughs> like. And it's you'd, you'd never you'd, you'd never get anything like that back in you know, in Scotland. <laughs> People are just so boring. You get everyone here is just so interesting. I yeah. love it. Oh, it's it's great, dude. And it's like I don't mean to rat anybody out, but it's like I know that there are certain species of animals that are illegal to own as pets in this <laughs> state, and people own them anyways. <laughs> well, Tennessee's pretty good on what you can own. Like you can um you can get a giraffe if you want. Thought it because you know, we 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 have like um we have like thirty acres of land. Mm -hmm. And we keep thinking, right, what well, we need to get something. We need to get something real dumb. Like my, my wife really wants an emu or like an alpaca or something. Yeah. But there's there's no reason why we cannot own a giraffe. Like we we have the the resources to look after a giraffe. Like there's apart from the fact they're really unwieldy and big, I, you know, I might get a giraffe one day. Just see how that goes. Have you actually looked into this? I mean, I've, I've looked into what's, you know, what's possible and what's illegal. And I think in, um, so either in Cookville or Crossville, they have like this exotic animal auction every now and then where you can get anything. Oh anything my you God. Want. So yeah, that's the place to go. <laughs> Just buy like the most random shit. And it's a lot of them are very, you can own them. It's, it's, there's some you can't, but you can have a, 
I think I, they often they don't like you owning native wildlife. Anything native it has to be wild, but you know, things that don't come from Tennessee, you can I think you can get them. <laughs> I mean I I want to say I'm surprised, but I'm not. <laughs> like it's 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 a different world here, man. It's great. It really it's I'm, like... I'm enjoying it so much, just living the country bumpkin lifestyle, driving a big stupid truck, and you know all that stuff. Oh, you got a big truck and everything. I I, I yeah I I've fully converted to redneck. It's crazy. Yes, I've got, a, I've got an '88 Chevy truck. I've got a I've got an old Jeep that I'm um, engine swapping right now. All this stuff. I'm done. I'm, dude, I'm living the life. You need to just come to Nashville and get into the songwriting circuit, dude. You could start writing some killer country songs. And I thought about that. I thought about like you know because like songwriting is my it's my favorite thing. Like yeah. it's, I mean yeah yeah we perform live and the, but I'm not I'm not a very good musician. Like I'm not very talented at pressing the Neither buttons. Neither any of the songwriters here. Yeah, exactly. But like song songwriting is the shit. I feel like I can do the best. Like you know, I write ninety nine percent of the songs for Ailstorm mm-hmm. and for my other band Glory Hammer. Yep. And for you know all this stuff I write the music for. Like this, I've written songs for third party bands. I would love to. I would love to just you know maybe if I retired from the touring thing, just if any band if any band watching this wants a hit song i'll write it for you seriously you know dude if it if it gives you any confidence the majority of the big new hit songwriters in this town are all dudes that were in metal bands that's great it's, it's like it's... um a, a buddy of mine i don't know if you're familiar with them they're a big like pop rock band in the uh early 2000s uh boys like girls do you remember that name i don't think i know that one no they were like a they were like a big warp tour band like okay. A lot of screaming girl teenage fans and stuff like that, but their their singer Martin is a friend of mine and lives in Nashville, just writing for country artists now. And then one of the biggest breakthrough songwriters in this town right now um, is this guy named Kyle Fishman. He used to be in a band called the Molotov Solution, which is like a brutal <laughs> deathcore band. It's, so, it's a he, generic brutal deathcore name. We are the Molotov Solution. Dude, and he's writing like all of his songs he's writing are like number one radio hits. Hey girl, get in my truck, yeah. <laughs> Man, I wouldn't, that's the shit I want to do. I would love to do that, you know, any genre. I mean, there's, there's things about country I've, I haven't quite fully worked out yet. Like I've always got country on the radio because like literally every radio station in Northeast Tennessee is, is a country station or a Jesus station. So yeah. it's, I'd rather listen to the country stations. Um, yeah. And like, I listen to stuff and go, man, this is some real good songwriting. You know, all these songs are so perfectly put together and I would love to do it. I, you know, it's, I like say, I, I, I want to ghostwrite for anyone, metal bands, country bands, anyone who wants a song. I would love to just be a ghostwriter because it's so much fun just writing music. Well, modern country is so easy too because, like you said, it's good songwriting because it's it's they have a formula, they have a structure, and if you listen to country radio, like um, like the the modern country radio, not throwbacks, the new stuff, yeah. all of it sounds very similar structure wise because. It's it's purposely done because it's easy to digest for the people that are listening yeah. to it. Again, we joke about it, but it's like the four chord song with the familiar lyrics. The thing is, that's that's what that's what we do as well with in Ailstorm, like stuff like yeah. I'm, I've really sort of streamlined my songwriting, and it's people go, oh yeah, you're writing whatever four chord boring shit. It's like, but we're actually there's a real skill and a real art to that to writing mm-hmm. the perfect four chord song because you gotta. It's all about the structure. It's all about you gotta have a vocal hook at the right time. You know, you, you can't have any riff going on for too long. You've got to keep the interest. You've got to keep it building. You know, there's there's so many details to, like, to writing the dumb stuff we do. And it often gets dismissed as just like 
dumb pop garbage, but it, it's way harder than writing some random tech song. And, and some people mistakenly think that like a hook of a song is only the vocals and the chorus. Dude, on your new single right away, like right off the bat, yeah. the, hook, the hook is in the instrumentation, like that accordion noise right away. I even said in the reaction, I was like, there's your hook immediately. Like that's what pulls you into that song. And that's what a lot of these country writers are good at is you not only get the hook in the chorus, but you'll get like a guitar lead or something that is yep. repetitive, that drills in your head. And sometimes you find yourself remembering a song from that actual hooky guitar lead rather than the chorus that was delivered. Yeah, that's the thing. Like it's you know, a good song has a catchy hooky chorus, but a great song has at least two distinct hooks that somehow work together. And you have mm. this like, you are nonstop bombarded with things you are going to remember. And that's how a song sticks in your head. So you've actually, actually been trying to write a song for um, the band Glory Hammer. Is this idea I've had for a long time where it's nothing but chorus after chorus after hook, after all different hooks, all different choruses, and just seeing how many super catchy elements they can bombard people with in the space of three and a half minutes. And it's coming along <laughs> great, but it's, it's, a, every, it's, it's a challench because every riff has to be better than the last one. Yeah. Like this plans have no, no dead space in the entire song. It's just going to be a constant barrage. And we'll see it, how that goes. It's it's funny thinking about your songs now that you've told me your approach and like your process of songwriting because I'm starting to remember from other songs already. Like uh, P-A-R-T-Y is another good example. Yeah. Like right at the beginning of that song, I remember when I did a reaction to that, that, that opening accordion lick there, I was like, I paused and I was like, there's your hook right there. I go, yeah. I, I don't know when we're going to hear that, but somewhere around the course of that song, the vocal melody is going to follow that because that's a fucking hook. And sure enough, when it got to the P-A-R-T-Y, it's like, that's Here it comes, the same yeah. one, you know? And that is, that's great songwriting, man. A lot of people, I make fun of country all the time. People on this channel are, are used to it. And I feel like I can because I worked for a country artist for six years and I'm familiar with how it works. But to be fair and to be openly honest, like you said, there is actually a lot of skill into writing a song that is, you know, that catchy that, I mean, dude, country is one of the biggest genres in the u.s like you look at the country charts this is mind-blowing i did this on stream recently the number one song in country radio right now gets anywhere between like 60 and 80 million audience impressions a week so a, six, week. a week so 60 to 80 million people heard that song on the radio in one week the number one song in in rock and metal gets about two million it's ridiculous dude. Sad, isn't it it's just the scale yeah. of things it makes you realize it's like when we, when we release an album you know and it gets in the charts maybe you know, like in, in europe you go wow holy crap we did it we got to number five in the charts in germany yes and then a week later you disappear from the charts mm. and then you look down and at number six or the band that's replaced you at number five is like i don't know a Nirvana album from the nineties. Like, God damn it, that that album sells more records every single week. Like thirty years after it came out, more than we sell at you know one-off peak release with extreme promotion and all these pre-sales adding up. It's like the the, the sheer differences of scale are mind-boggling. Yeah, yeah, and I I actually I I can confidently say um, I think Seventh Rum of a Seventh Rum will probably. I bet it'll hit the Billboard 200 in the U.S. That'd be cool. I bet it'll hit. I bet it'll hit the Hard Rock, the U.S. Hard Rock chart in the U.S. 
I bet you're looking at three or four chart entries in the U.S. on the new album, I bet. Yeah, I, I, I get so confused. There's, there's a lot of charts. There's so many. <laughs> like, there was, like, there used to be the Heat Seekers, but now it's called, like, something else. And we we used to, we were always, like, number one on the Heat Seekers, but we'd never really break into the actual yeah. main chart, which is which just, yeah, that, that sheer difference of scale. We got to number six in Canada with our last one. We were a new entry higher than the new Jimmy Buffett album which was nice. uh, my crowning achievement is selling more records than Jimmy Buffett in release week. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. We, uh, but I mean, dude, so the billboard 200 is the overall, everything, all yeah. genres, but then you've got us mainstream rock, us hard rock, <laughs> um, us alternative rock, us radio rock. There's like eight different charts just for rock and metal in the U S. So it's like, at times, I don't even know. Like, same with country. It's like all these country artists care about, like, yeah, we hit number one on country airplay. But then on mainstream country, it's like number 50. So it's like, so what's the difference here? Yeah, what does that mean? Yeah, it's- <laughs> like, yeah, I, I, even working in the industry, I still don't understand it half the time. Um, one thing, um, try, trying to just change a pace just because we, we've been here for a minute and I don't want to keep you, I don't want to keep you too long. <laughs> That's fine. We're good all day. (laughs) (laughs) Um, One of the things that I I knew I was going to ask you on this was bonus tracks from the last couple albums. Mm -hmm. More specifically, insert song title here for dogs. Yes. If you've answered this before, I apologize, but I just, I got to know for me. Is that another one of those like we knew we wanted to do bonus tracks and we did just something stupid off the cuff or was that something that like ahead of time you were like we're going to do this and it's going to be funny it was an absolute last minute thing like it's i don't know personally i'm not really a fan of bonus tracks like that i I find it messy you know I, i i don't like it when you go on spotify and you click on a new album and it's you'd think it'd be a 10 track album, but it's actually like a 25 track album with here's the album, here's the instrumental album, here's the orchestral album, here's the album live in Poland. You know, it's like, it's messy. I, I don't think it's neat. I, I, I like the neatness of just a, an album, but obviously record labels um, want bonus tracks because there's, there's this one weird trick, as we say on YouTube, where um, if, you, if you have an entire CD of bonus tracks and your album is two discs long, it counts for two sales in the charts, even though you're buying one product. I did not know that. That is, yep, there is a, <laughs> it's one of the main reasons the record labels love these ridiculous convoluted special editions with bonus discs is that it um, it counts for extra sales. So it's, you can game the charts. There was actually this uh, classical musical album released so many years ago. It was the complete works of Bach or Beethoven we're talking like 500 discs <laughs> and it was like a thousand dollars to buy it. And they sold like a dozen copies and it got to number one in the charts because of it. <laughs> it's like, there was, there was something like there was some ridiculous loophole they exploited where like th- this insane box set with a half a dozen sales got to number one in the charts because number of discs in it. So anyway, that's why the label likes doing that. Oh. And we're like, ah, you know, I, I'm not a fan. So we thought, you know, what's the lowest effort thing we can do? It's like, I know, I get a keyboard with a dog bark sound. Like it's just the, the MIDI dog, dog bark sound yeah. that any keyboard can do. Just played along with the album, vaguely singing the melody. And people loved it. And we're like, oh, okay, this is a thing people like. And people went crazy for it. That was on um, No Grave But The Sea. Yeah. 
and it got to the point where even we uh, we played a download festival in England uh, when that came out. We actually had two shows on there for some reason. There was like a big main stage show, and then we played on one of these little sort of sponsor tent stages as for some promo reasons. And we played a song for dogs on that show, and the crowd went crazy. They were all <laughs> woofing along with it. It's like, wow, you, you guys, you guys like dogs, okay? And I, so we thought, you know, let's do it again. So on this, on this new album, there's like there's some ridiculous edition that comes with three discs and the third disc is for dogs. It's, it's people, it, it's low effort garbage, but people like it. Yeah, dude. The Actually, I think the first time I tried to, um, when I was getting my wife into your, to, into Ailstorm's music, I think I tried to play her Mexico and accidentally played the for dogs version. So the first time it started, she was just like, what, what, what? I was like, Oh, this is the wrong version. Sorry. <laughs> There's actually this uh, glitch. If you go on, if you search on Google for what are the lyrics to Mexico by Ailstorm, it brings up the lyrics to Mexico for dogs. It just says, woof, 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 That's amazing, dude. That's so amazing. I actually, when you were, I don't know if you saw me, I apologize, but when you were, uh, when you were talking for a second, I looked down because uh, your, your uh, PR manager just texted me and was like, how'd everything go? And I want to be like, still we're going. still here. <laughs> We're still talking. <laughs> yeah. So shout out Natalie, um, which by the way, I, such a great person, honestly. I mean, she's probably going to watch this and think I'm just like kissing her ass now, but <laughs> I work with doing YouTube stuff. I work with so many PR people that are always asking me to check out stuff and do interviews with people. And Natalie is by far one of the best at any label that I've dealt with so far. So you guys, uh... hey Thomas Casser, give Natalie a pay rise. <laughs> funny, uh, funny about that too is, uh, um, I did a reaction to um, Visions of Atlantis recently. <laughs> I always I... find that band really weird because, uh, for those who don't know, that the drummer of Visions of Atlantis, who are signed to Napalm Records, is the CEO of Napalm Records, which is a, uh, I don't know, it sounds like a conflict of interest to me. Either you know what's, know. you know what's funny is I actually kept that normally, normally in videos. I, you've probably seen, like I put up like random pop-up facts yeah. about the band and stuff. I, I withheld from doing that. I was going <laughs> to put that in there. And then I was like, I don't want people to get the impression that maybe the only reason that this band is signed is because he's in the band. Cause they are, they're, they're good. Um, but I will say when I saw their announcement of, Hey, we're pirates now, like for their new album. I was like, when I saw that, I was like, what? the hell <laughs> thomas casser are you stealing my gimmick what <laughs> like what i saw their new music video and they're all dressed like pirates and i was like is this their thing i didn't think this was their thing and that then, was their thing either yeah and then i and then i saw a press release where their singer had said we're comfortable admitting to the world that we're pirates now and this is going to be our image moving <laughs> forward and i was like there, there's already a pirate band. <laughs> like, however, I mean, to be fair, I don't know if you guys are the first either. No, no. I mean, um, <laughs> there was a well, thing is the everyone goes, oh, Running Wild did it first, like in the 80s. But like the thing is, you listen to Running Wild, and maybe obviously all their albums are called like, you know, Dunder Jolly Roger and Port Royale and stuff. Mm -hmm. And then, but you listen to it, like only like maybe two songs per album about pirates. The rest of the stuff is about 80s metal shit, like motorbikes and global warming and stuff. It's kind of like, you're not a real pirate, but you've got some songs about pirates. 
but you know it's it's that's the image that sticks is though the lead singles about pirates they're pirate men yeah. so we we get compared to them or we used to get compared to them a lot i feel like that's sort of dying down the only people... sorry continue and then i'll yeah because i think people are forget uh running wild fans are just dying of old age you know so they... <laughs> <laughs> they don't know anymore i think the only when somebody told me about you guys at first and they're like you got to check out this pirate metal band my frame of reference the only thing i was familiar i was like if you're talking about Swashbuckle, I already know what you're talking about. <laughs> like, that's the only thing I had ever been shown that was like a pirate-themed band. And to be honest, I really don't even know anything about that band. I can't name any of their songs. I just know of their existence. Their their big song was called Cruise Ship Terror. It was um pretty good one. They they were, they were like a lot more extreme than those. They were like a thrash grind sort of band. Oh, so, but the okay. things they they dressed as pirates all the time. So they had this amusing thing where they, they looked like Disney pirates, but the music was just this brutal grind thrash death stuff. And we we toured them a bunch, like even these big European folk metal tours, like Pagan Fest. They were on there, and it was it was very amusing because it's you know they had the look, but the sound was just totally out there. Yeah, when you guys when you guys tour like Latin America and Australia and stuff, do you guys already? Um, on tours like that, will you have support, or is that just going to be you guys? There will be there will be local support. Yeah. Um, we we tour Australia quite a lot. This is like maybe our sixth, seventh tour there. We go down really well, actually, because um we did our first tour there in 2010, and the uh the, this promotions company called Soundworks, and they someone someone convinced them to bring us over, and they booked us, and it was great. It was a massive success. They didn't pay as much, but it was a massive success. And they were like, man, you know, we, it was only after the tour that they looked at our sales numbers in Australia. They're like, if we'd seen your sales numbers in Australia, we would not have booked you because you've sold like five records in Australia. <laughs> but like every single show was huge, like thousands of people coming to see us. So it's just people don't buy our records and stuff. But yeah, um, but yeah, when we tour down there and South America, it's just whatever local band the promoter puts on. Okay. And I kind of enjoy that. I think it's kind of fun finding like, what um what random bands are going to get paired with you know it's, yeah because it's a whole world of fun local bands because you, you kind of reach a stage as a band where you, you no longer have local support bands it's just the, the tour package and that's it mm. and i i sometimes miss you know looking at goofy local bands and seeing what's up and see who's you know see who's worth uh looking into because i i always love this idea of like finding you new know, local bands and saying hey guys you want to go on a world tour you know just, again this, this, these these opportunities were afforded of you know having been relatively successful band it's not a big deal for us to bring some random kids on tour and yeah. always looking for like the next fun band to tour with well local bands are fun too because um and i i i say this more endearingly because i was in a local band and that's how you cut your teeth as a band and you progress and learn but more oftentimes than not a lot of the local support bands are goofier than they are actually good if i'm being honest like sometimes there's there have been times where i've been legitimately blown away by a local opener to show where i was like wow these guys are fucking good like how has how are these guys just a local band here and then there's other times where you can't stop watching them because you're like this is a fucking train wreck and it's awesome yeah. <laughs> but See, we, were all, we were all there we we're all there at one point it's we, we had the we had the weird lucky distinction that we were never a local band in that we we literally played two shows in a pub and they were both sold out and then we got signed and so we we, we never had the uh struggling band thing like because mm. there is no there is no you know local band scene in in scotland there's no point you know, there's nothing to do so we, we literally 
so we played three shows in a pub and then literally the next year we got signed and we we're going on world tours and things so it was we were so lucky in missing out that stage because it's brutal it's like it's i would not i don't envy anyone who has to be a local band and struggle you know especially you know, yeah there's a lot of bands who don't care and they just want to play some shows but anyone who's trying to make it it's i couldn't oh. i couldn't imagine be, just from being in a local band in the states and knowing how much how many cities we have and how many areas we have to play i mean you could go on a us tour in a, as a local band and just fucking be gone for a year you know yeah. i couldn't imagine doing that in the uk because i got to imagine you've at some point you've played everywhere so many times that it's just like all right yeah i don't, I, don't, I don't know if local bands really tour that much i think most of the do is just simply be the local support to an international touring act or a national touring act and it's you occasionally see some like you know little death metal bands. We're doing a tour of the UK. It's like ten shows, yeah, or yeah. even more. Like you, there's you play small, small towns. Like some of them are very, very close to each other, yeah. which is a weird thing in the UK. People do not travel to gigs. Like in the US, we play a show, and someone goes, "Hey man, I drove twelve hours here to see you guys." Yeah, you rule. And then we'll announce a UK tour, and then we'll say, "Oh, we're playing in Sheffield." And then there'll be people who live in Nottingham, which is like maybe 15 miles away, saying, oh, you guys never come to our town. Oh, this sucks. Like, dude, 15, you could probably walk 15 miles. Yeah. See, here it's like the difference. But like, so when I was in a band, we were, we were a local band in our scene, in the Chicago scene. But we were in the U.S., you get local bands, regional bands, nationally touring bands. And even though we were like not signed and big we were considered a nationally touring band because we would do full tours around yeah. the US. Um, but even when we weren't on touring schedules, it's like, we'd still, we'd get like one-offs, like offers for a show that's in like Cleveland, Ohio. That's like a nine hour drive. And we'd be like, yeah, we'll do that. No problem. Nine hours. That's not a bad drive for us. <laughs> like, you know, but Dude, can we take a 20 second break? I need to really pee right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's actually funny that he wanted to do that because I was probably about to wrap him up because I feel like I've been keeping him too long anyways, but we'll, uh, we'll get him back here. I'll probably have to just chop this part out anyways. A few minutes later. <laughs> dude, I've been it, like sitting here chugging beer and lemonade for like the last hour and a half. Dude, like, oh, it, it's actually funny because no joke, I was actually gonna attempt to wrap this up so you oh. can go get to your stuff anyways uh that was actually just really funny timing and i'll probably cut a lot of that out anyways but here's a message um, for more sponsors yeah yeah if i if i get a sponsor for this one i don't know um but uh before i i do want to thank you for giving me this time because i know you're leaving for tour tomorrow you're packing you're doing all this stuff I did all my I, packing last night i was very sensible so today oh, is there just you go getting stuff done day oh i was i was an idiot when i leave for tour i wait until the last possible second to pack every time like every time my, my wife does all my packing for me she, like, she neatly <laughs> rolls up my clothes and the little sausages great dude i always i always love seeing other people's tour packs like on electric cowboy's latest vlog like nico was showing the inside of his suitcase on his pack and i'm just like jesus did you pay somebody to do that like everything's rolled really nice and like tucked away and i'm it's like that's way if you roll stuff up it takes up less space and it's like really yeah. you can really condense in a lot of pairs of underwear that way yeah or tips but, yeah but seriously dude i i appreciate you giving me your time for this this has been great um as a reminder to anybody that's listening 
Seventh Rum of a Seventh Rum by Ailstorm is coming out June 24th, which will be tomorrow. From That's tomorrow in the, the future. The day this releases. We're time wow. traveling right now. Can't wait. Yeah, dude, I'm, I'm stoked for it, honestly. I'm super excited for it. Um, then you guys are going to be on tour and you got a bunch going on. But before you go, I always ask this question to every artist that's on here because I feel as though it's important. Um, for anybody that's listening that wants to support Ailstorm or Glory Hammer or anything else you as a musician do, what do you think is the best way fans can support your music, whether it's financial or not? I mean, if you're talking sheer financially, the best thing to do is buy a t-shirt from us either on tour or at our own little merch store, which is merch.alestorm.net. Um, but really, it's just the old smash that like button, really, is uh, just listen as much as you can. It's, you know, it's tell people. It's the thing, like, we, we, we're not very good at the whole media thing. Like, we don't, you know, obviously Napalm Records and that, they do a great job in spreading us. But I feel like it's, a lot of this band is all very word of mouth. You know, it's mm -hmm. people coming to a show realizing that it's a big party. There's not this crazy, insane, high budget media push behind it. So it's, we're a relatively organic band, I'd say. So it's, yeah, just keep listening to the music. Blast it out your window, drive on the highway, you know, that sort of thing. Oh, I was blasting it in the drive through at Chick fil A earlier. Hell yeah. It's awesome. They probably like, <laughs> I always imagine like when I'm rolling up to places and they hear what I'm listening to, like, you know, the high school kids that are working at Chick-fil-A are just here. And I think I was, yeah, I'm cool. What of it? <laughs> yeah. I think I was, I think I was listening to Mexico at the time and they probably just hear this rolling up and they're like, what is this guy going to be like? <laughs> yeah. like hi there. Yeah. Number so, one deluxe with pepper jack, please. <laughs> oh, I had, I was at breakfast. So I got the number four. I got the burrito. Man, I'm all about those little chicken minis. Yeah. Like them and just stuff them down. Oh, my wife That's loves those. That so for any for, for, for <laughs> anybody that's watching this on YouTube and can see the video description, I'll have links to all of Ailstorm social media, merchandise, ways that you can support. Um, but man, this was a blast, dude. I'm excited for the new album. I hope you guys have a safe and great touring schedule. Thank you. And, it's going to uh, be a long one. It's going to be brutal, but it'll be fun. Yeah. And if, if for some reason you find yourself in Nashville for any reason, hit me up. I will. That'd be yeah, fun. For sure, man. We could have a fun day. We'll go down to Broadway and act like tourists and just get cowboy hats. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So dude, one more time. Thank you very, very much for giving me your time. And uh, hopefully we'll get to chat uh, some other time. Cool. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Yep. Take care, man. Hey, buddy. So for those of you that have made it this far in the podcast already, I bet there's some people that are probably thinking like, that seems like it was cut off pretty quick. Like he, he went and used the bathroom. He seemed like he was ready to go more. Why didn't you keep him longer? And to be honest, I kind of gauge these situations by feel as they go. And, you know, we had him for a couple hours and knowing that the next day he was leaving for tour, I didn't want to take up too much more of his time, man. I wanted to let him spend time at home with his family and all that stuff. And I just felt like that was the appropriate place to wrap this up and just let him get on with his day. And, you know, I got to send out a big thank you to him for even giving me this time, because like I said, it came together really fast and he's just so slammed getting ready for tour and the album and stuff like that, that I'm still surprised this even happened, but it was awesome, man. I mean, fantastic guy. I like kind of hope that one of these days when he's actually home, he makes it to Nashville. I would love to just go out on the town with this dude one day and just like have a good time or go to a show with him or something like that. And he'd probably love it too. Cause I could be his designated driver and everything, but 
Man, this was this was a super fun one. I'm so glad that this actually happened. I know there was a lot of people that were really, you know, asking if I could make this happen even as far back as a couple months because you know, while I can't get everybody I want to on this podcast, there are a lot of people that you guys, the listeners and watchers, have told me you'd be interested in, you know, me talking to. So this is one that I'm very happy that it came together. So Thank you to everybody that listened and watched. Thank you once again to Chris. This was fantastic. As a reminder, Ailstorm's brand new album, Seventh Rum of a Seventh Rum, drops on June 24th, 2022 from Napalm Records. If you're anywhere in Europe, check their tour dates because they're going to be probably in your area very soon. Then they're going to be in the middle and south of America, and then they're going to be in Australia and all that stuff. So you're going to have a pretty good chance to see these guys live if you're in one of those places. But since we're at the end, I'll do a little shameless plugging of my own things before we wrap up. If you want to support this podcast or any of my content, there are a couple good ways you can do that. I do have a Patreon set up. You can go check it out at www.patreon.com slash tank the tech. I only have two tiers available. It's nothing crazy, but with both tiers, one of the big perks is that you get to see all of my YouTube videos and these podcasts about two and a half to three days before anybody else gets to see them, which a lot of people have said that that's pretty cool, man. Um, and I appreciate all of you guys that sign up for that because it actually helps a lot more than you guys think it do, man. There's a lot of expenses that go into this kind of stuff and it just really helps. So thank you to anybody that's already a member on Patreon. And if you're thinking about signing up, thank you in advance. You could also check out tankthetechmerch.com and that way you can get something physical in return. We've got a lot of different t-shirt designs and long sleeves and hoodies and stuff like that. And it not only supports me and my content, but it also helps support the artists that designed the artwork because I suck with graphic art stuff, man. Like some of the designs were designed by my wife and then another one was designed by somebody in our community and I split those profits with those artists because... They did the work, man. I don't want to take credit for that. But if you do any of those things, thank you very much. And if all you do is watch my content or listen, that's good enough for me, man. Seriously, none of the other paid stuff is necessary at all. I just appreciate you guys that take the time to actually watch my content. So thank you very much. It means a ton. I always feel weird because I can't really express that well, how much it actually does mean to me. So I guess I'll just say one more time. Thank you very much. And if you want to follow me on social media, I'm pretty active on a couple places. My handle on everything is at tank the tech. If you're watching on YouTube, I'll throw links in the description. I post a lot of, you know, everyday life kind of stuff. So if you're tired of just watching me on a YouTube video and want to see what I'm actually up to, check me out on Instagram or Twitter or any of those places and give me a follow there. But we're at the end of this one. This was episode 12. We've got a lot more guests lined up in the future, man. I'm so excited to keep bringing you these podcast episodes because not only is it fun to actually make this content, it's really cool to sit down and get to know some of these guests like as people more than what I just see from their music and whatever else they do. So since we're wrapping up, man, the last thing I just have to say is wherever you are in the world, be safe, always be kind to each other. And it's uh, about it, man. So until next time, this has been episode 12 of the Back Lounge Podcast.